He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Hi, this is Vanessa Angel from the movie Kingpin. I wanted to say a big hello to all the listeners of Munson's at the Movies. I'm so excited to hear that there's a podcast inspired by the movie Kingpin. Welcome to Munson's at the Movies, episode 9. I'm here once again with the rest of the Munson's. I want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> give them a chance to talk a little bit about what's going on in their world. James. Uh, not much has gone has changed in my life. I think the last few major life updates I've give you, uh, given you with the wedding and whatnot. Uh, at this moment, I'm enjoying uh, the marriage bliss, but also quarantine life. So my honeymoon has been in my front yard. It's been great. Warren? Actually, I had a buddy send me a, a link to another podcast called Till Death Do Us Blart. And they talk about Paul <laughs> Blart. Mall Cop 2. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> they, talk, they talk about that movie once a year, and this guy tried to sync it up with Dark Side of the Moon, and it's eerily, like, it works. <laughs> it works really well with that movie. So I'd recommend people going to check that out. It's almost as if these uh, movies have some kind of formula going on. It is hilarious how much it lines up. There's a video on YouTube that kind of lines it up, and it's, uh, it's worth watching. Rigby. Not much has changed on my end. I read a book this week, which is nice to uh, nice transition from the TV and movies that I've been watching. I read Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by Hunter S. Thompson. That's a movie, uh, so it doesn't count. It yeah. doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> my goal next week is to read Fear and Loathing in the Campaign Trail from 1972, which was his follow-up. Case, what about you, brother? I think I'm getting close to writing the sequel to uh, The Edge of Tomorrow, because it's all I'm living. I'm just, I feel like every day I get to the end of the day and I think to myself, I can't wait for tomorrow. Nice. That's, I love that's that about movie. it. It's a great movie. <laughs> on my end, I, I thought you guys would be entertained. I was digging around on the social media earlier. The internet has blown up today because some teenagers, probably just a few teenagers, finally learned about Robert Downey Jr.'s role in Tropic Thunder wearing blackface. Oh, oh they tried to cancel <laughs> and, and they are trying to cancel him so hard right now. I, I will read you verbatim a tweet that I read. It says, wait, so what the fuck? Robert Downey Jr. did blackface? Sorry, what? I can't find an apology either. What the oh, fuck? That person's yeah, wow. not seen the movie. <laughs> yeah. He should talk to the Academy about that. What do, what do you mean, you people? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm the dude playing the dude disguised as another dude. That role is mocking character actors. People have justifiably been mocking these kids on Twitter yeah, right, all day okay. because they have to. Like, once you've seen the movie, you understand that's the whole point. Yes, like, 100% the point of the character. Yeah, they're going to be really upset when they like see Sigourney Weaver talk about something. And they're like, wait, weren't you attacked by aliens? And they're going to realize <laughs> that movies just aren't real. <laughs> and so we have Chip Hessenflo with us. He's a co-host of the Too Much Scrolling podcast, which is a podcast that has all the information you need to survive another week. They cover movies, books, news. They publish every Tuesday. 
He owns a financial planning practice in the Chicago area. He works with all sorts of people who are much more interesting than he is. I can vouch on that. He enjoys his career, which lends him time to think and sometimes be creative. Um, he was born bald. He maintains that today, uh, proudly. Uh, you can find Too Much Scrolling on your favorite podcast or podcatcher or smart speaker by searching Too Much Scrolling or toomuchscrolling.podbean.com, which is where our podcast also lives. Um, and other addition to that, Chip is also a FISI, much like myself, James, Warren, and Rigby. So, Case, you're the odd man out on this one, brother. But, Chip, it's ha- we're happy to have you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I just want to tell you that um, we're just ending second winter here in the Chicago area and getting ready for pre-fall. So it's going to be a good summer. (laughs) Very, very small summer, right? So before we get into our featured actor of the episode, a few housekeeping um, pieces to hit. Number one, a quick shout out to our Alicia Vikander image winner, Betty. Her IG account is... I. L-Y-S-A-I-V-I-N. I I don't know how you pronounce that in in Instagram speak, but she was the one who got the answer correct of the five Vikander roles. So bravo to you, Betty. Yeah, nice work, Betty. Let's get our weekly dose of IMDb birthdays. Warren. Not many of them this week. So we're going to go ahead and start with Alexander Ludwig. He's in Lone Survivor. He's uh, in Vikings. And he's a Razzie Award winner for Grown Ups too. Oh wow! Also a Fisai. He's in Bad, the new Bad Boys as well. Yes, he is. My context clue is he was a freshman in college when I visited his chapter at UAC, oh, USC. You creep! <laughs> you fucking so, creep! <laughs> so, you cheater, bro. When I was there, they were like, "Hey, uh, Ludwig, he's gone right now. He's doing a he's doing some acting work." And Everson Griffin just graduated, and he's going to the NFL. So they were name dropping left and right. Yeah, they love themselves. Um, so I'm gonna say he's 27. I'll go 30, Warren. Ah, oh, damn it, you stole it. Uh, well, because I know that he paid his dues on time, and uh, <laughs> he's a really good guy. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he, he joined for the right reasons. Uh, I'm gonna say 33. Do the Bob Barker. I'm going to go 29 there, Bob. He's Fellas, He's I gave you guys so the hint. On. Yeah, but Kyle, <laughs> I didn't want to use your hint because it was so dorky, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next up is Brecken Meyer from Road Trip, Road yeah. Chicken, and Garfield 1 and Tale of Two Kitties. <laughs> also clueless. 42. <sighs> 44. I'll go 45. Ooh. I'm going 41 there, Bob. I'm going to say 38. He's 46. Oh. <laughs> Ooh, was that me? I think I, I believe that one. so. I think you got, got right, right up there at the top. All right. Last but not least, um, Maya Erskine. So she's in a movie on Netflix called Plus One. Uh, she does voices on BoJack Horseman, uh, created and acted in a show on Hulu called Pen15. All right, mm. she's 33. Uh, <laughs> I got that just right there, 33. No, everybody got it right. Social. Uh, that's it for birthdays. Happy birthday, fuckers. Okay, so the five actors that were thrown onto the wheel for this week were Bradley Whitford, Francis McDormand, Adam Scott, Bill Paxton, definitely the fan favorite of the five, and James Marsden. The wheel decided. And we are going with James Marsden. Hey. Uh, yeah. So it will be uh, Warren's new profile 
photo before too long on Twitter, so look out for that. And Chris, uh, congratulations! It'll, it'll finally be better looking than I am. <laughs> yeah, it's something. I, it's something I look forward to every week when when that change happens. So we're gonna dig deep into James Marsden's background, his his career, his personal life. But before we get into all that, we always listen to some actor trivia from James. Two truths and a lie. There's a theme to the lies. Uh, Chip, if you haven't listened before, I'm not going to tell you that theme, but all the other guys are very, very well aware of the theme and have been very good at guessing which the lie is. I, I of course, have listened to every episode, so do not. Okay. <laughs> do, not, do not play me. <laughs> so there are uh, three facts I'm about to go with, and you guys tell me which one of these is not about James Marsden. So fact number one. He moved a lot as a kid before going to college. He lived in California, New Zealand, Connecticut, then Hawaii before moving to Nashville. Fact number two, while vacationing uh, with his family in Hawaii, he met actor Kirk Cameron and his actress sister, Candace Cameron. They invited him to visit in LA, and that is when he decided to begin his acting career. Fact number three, he was a model for both Versace and Gap before getting into acting. Damn, those are good ones. Am I ready? I can get this one right. Go right ahead. I'll go with number one. That's the number one. James, I'm going to pick number one as well, because it's actually the backstory to the movie Disturbing Behavior. So I know that's not (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go. I'm going to go Kirk Cameron as the lie, James. Two. Yeah, I'm going to go with Kirk Cameron as well, because it's James Cameron. (laughs) <laughs> i also probably spent way too much time researching marston so i i am pretty confident one is the lie so kyle is correct one is in fact the lie uh so fact number two is true while he was vacationing with his family in hawaii he met the cameron family they invited him to visit la he dropped out of college shortly after that and thus began his career. Fact number three, also true. He was a model for both Versace and Gap before getting into acting. I don't think that surprises anyone because he is strikingly handsome. Um, And fact number one about moving to California, New Zealand, Connecticut, Hawaii, and Nashville is actually a fact of uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. (laughs) Marsden grew up in Oklahoma and he lived there until he went to college, which was at Oklahoma State. He has a very similar path to Chris Pratt in that he was discovered in Hawaii. Oh, yeah, that is interesting. Connecting those dots. I'm like, Case, tell us a little bit about Marsden's snapshot and box office history. Really, the the only two distinctions that he has on on the spreadsheets that I work off of, the 24th day is actually the lowest budgeted movie we've looked at. And uh, it only grossed $14,000, so it, it lost the studio quite a bit of money there. The other one is that time of recording, he's actually the fourth highest. Of of act- actors or actresses we looked at, can anybody guess the three above him? Chastain, Pratt, Pratt, and Gordon Levitt. Nope. Lithgow. No, nope, you got two out of the three. Pratt and, and Chastain are two and three. The number one person we looked at at the time of recording. Oh, it's, it's Fikander. That's right. He's right after those three, despite getting not great reviews on any of his projects, both from critics or fans. I mean, he's still he's still wildly popular, and it, it could go back to that those dashing looks and his model characteristics that we talked about. <laughs> when a when a movie performs that poorly, the the twenty fourth day at fourteen thousand dollars was it buried or did it go against like I don't know Spider Man or something? Well, Chip, that's a good question and well beyond my research. 
Well, that's for all of our listeners out there. We're looking forward to, we're looking forward to your research. <laughs> yeah, let us know. I think the thing that buries most movies based on, you know, based on what we've looked at, it's been poor openings. Anytime that there's a really, really poor opening, a lot of times they get buried because everybody starts starts piling on in, in the reviews and the, and the critics. I think James has a golden rule about movies like that. James, what is it? If everyone says a movie is bad, I'm just not going to waste my time and see it. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, Chip. Even if it's going up against a you know uh, an Avengers or something, it's still going to have its audience. Sorry, boys, that's that's a pretty lame box office snapshot. I, I do what I can. The value in what you just provided us, Craig, is especially from the average Rotten Tomato score compared to how many projects he's been in, paints a picture of the actor that is James Marsden. He started his acting in 1993, and he's been in over 50 projects during that time, TV and film. So he's been a very busy actor over time, while many of them haven't had great reviews. I think I was looking at Rotten Tomatoes of the list of movies that are on there. Maybe 30 to 35% are in the certified fresh and not rotten category. But it starts in 1993 with his role in a uh, TV movie called In the Line of Duty, Ambush and Waco, which is readily available on YouTube if somebody would like to check it out. Plays a very small part in that one. After 1993, uh, between 93 and 97, he's in a number of small spots on TV shows, some big TV shows like Saved by the Bell, Touch by an Angel, and Party of Five. So they they gave him a lot of access, right? If you're starting your career in Hollywood and you need to get your face out there, especially a good-looking person like Marsden, those are big-time shows to get your face out there. He was also in a movie in 1997 called Campfire Tales, plays a small role that in that as well. It's not until 1998 that he runs into his first feature film, and he plays a lead role in the movie Disturbing Behavior. And Case is going to talk about that one. Disturbing Behavior is a uh, 1998 film. James Marsden, obviously. Katie Holmes. And, and I'm nervous about, you know, James's response to this because it's another movie that somebody, another guy gets the girl. I'm sorry, James. Spoiler <laughs> alert. I think maybe that's why I started hating him at such a young age. <laughs> he <got> girl, <laughs> Immediately was jealous. Got the, he's also got my name. You finally got past Vanderbeek, and now you got to yeah. deal with Marsden. Two Jameses in a row. So the movie goes like this. Marsden moves to the island of Cradle Bay. Uh, being new and an outsider, Marsden tries to navigate the social landmines of high school, and he settles into friendships with um, some other students that are socially on the fringe. Those students are Katie Holmes' character, Nick Stahl's character. They aren't necessarily at odds with the Blue Ribbon students. However, as, as the movie goes on, Dr. Caldecutt, played by Greenwood, they start recruiting parents and getting parents' permission to basically brainwash their, their children. Here's where this movie lost me. The plot jumps around way too suddenly and unnecessarily. This is the one that derailed me the most. They try way too hard to create catchphrases or dialogue that would become popular. And a great example of this Three or four different times, Katie Holmes answers instead of saying, yeah, that sounds fun, or yeah, that's cool. Katie Holmes just answers very flatly, Razor. <laughs> oh, we're bringing it back. Joke's on you. I was saying Razor for 10 years after that. That's so cromulent. That's so fucking edgy. <laughs> cromulent. Okay, that being said, I 
really enjoyed watching this movie. I, yes. I really enjoyed watching it. Agreed. Marsden and Holmes, I think, are really good in this movie. In terms of a first feature film, it was a pretty good performance for Marsden. All things considered, he exhibited some leading chops that you wouldn't expect someone so young in the game would have. Like the, And Katie Holmes is, was just vintage Katie Holmes in that role. It was great. Thanks, Case. He wasn't any projects in 1999, but from 2000 to 2007, before we get to our next review, he was on a variety of other projects. In 2000, he was in the X-Men movie as Scott Summers, which turned into four films as that character, and as I understand it, uh, potentially a polarizing character. I grew up loving the X-Men cartoons. I was a huge fan, and so I was excited to see this movie. And I remember when this movie first came out, I loved it. Um, I think I loved it partially because the other comic book movies I had seen to that point were kind of more cartoonish, somewhat on purpose. And then with X-Men, it was a little bit more rounded. And I absolutely loved the movie, but then people made better versions of more grounded movies and more grounded superhero movies. And I think if you were to go back and rewatch the original X-Men, it's not as good as we might remember it being. And maybe it's not as good as having, you know, five movies afterwards. But I do remember my initial feeling being I hated the portrayal of Cyclops. <laughs> James Marston particularly. Cyclops is supposed to be a playoff of kind of like Captain America, but with like a really shitty personal life. Like a leader who does the right things on the battlefield and like everyone trusts him, but then has issues with how he treats women and he's estranged from his family. This interpretation of him suffers from like the we don't know what to do with this character, so instead he'll just be, like, boring. And I'm like, that's not, like, what the character was at all in the cartoons. They, they made him, like, a sniping, jealous, kind of, like, twerp because he was the counterpoint to Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. This was, like, Hugh Jackman's explosion to, like, superstardom. Mm -hmm. And instead, they just kind of, like, wrote Cyclops out. And they're like, oh, sorry, dude. Like, you're going to get less screen time throughout the series, and eventually we're just going to kind of kill you off because this interpretation of him sucks and we all agree and it this was like what started my like wow i, I don't enjoy watching marsden in movies and it was solely because of this um in watching movies for this podcast like my opinion changed somewhat um because he is better in a lot of other roles but i this his portrayal of cyclops is just not enjoyable at all i, I don't think that this was marsden's fault i i, I think that when Fox bought the rights with the X-Men, they really were. You had the Batman films that had come out before, um, but you had not had a Marvel movie. They had all been really, really bad, and they wanted to hit, and they kind of forced stories onto this franchise. In fact, there was really no rhyme or reason. I think Fox really, if they could go back, they would redo how they created their ultimate what was a franchise. And, and you're absolutely right. X-Men um, was a bright spot as far as comics being sold. It may have sold a million units. Most comics at that point were selling, I don't know, 300,000 if they were hits, maybe 100,000 if they were not. So they were like by far the biggest selling comics through the 80s. And it was developed by a guy named Chris Claremont, who was the writer of this um, story. He was an actor before, so he created a lot of drama. They, he was basically a world builder in this. So when, by the time it got to the cartoon, which you were describing, it was already a big hit. It hit the big screen, and they wrote this incredible jerky character. I mean, he was just a jerk through the whole thing, yep. where he was supposed to be our leader. He was supposed right. to be the guy that's, that's Xavier's right-hand man. Xavier was a smart guy. 
He's uh, he he founded the school, and on the on the battlefield, it was all Cyclops. Well, they certainly just didn't do him any favors writing this character. When I watched this today, I started it, and like three or four times throughout like the first half hour, I kept double checking to make sure that I was watching the first X Men because <laughs> it, it it seriously. Like every other superhero movie, they introduce you to characters and all this stuff. They just throw you in there and they expect you to know exactly who you are, what their what their powers are. Right. And so it was it was a super, super weird approach to something that we're not familiar with these days. In addition to that, um, this was an incredibly big marketing push. Eventually it would come out on VHS tapes, and I think you could get them at Pizza Hut. I mean, they were giving them away with pizzas. I mean this was a, a long process. They, they certainly thought that they could recreate maybe a Star Wars type of franchise with this. So when Marvel went through their bankruptcy, Fox bought the rights to Daredevil, the Fantastic mm-hmm. Four, and X-Men, and they have fumbled every one of them. Luckily, Feige's in control, and hopefully we'll uh, see some revamping of those stories here in the next five years. He actually came out and said, like, I'd be an idiot not to say yes. But like in that role, like you could tell there was hesitancy in that interview where he's like, <laughs> like, of course, I would want to make a hundred million dollars being Cyclops again. But uh, I really did not enjoy the feedback I got for this role. So he's like, so the advice I would offer to the next Cyclops and like went to that immediately. But he definitely said, yeah, throw me in there. I just um, you could tell there's a little hesitancy to it. If they bring him back, they should do kind of like a, a Deadpool. When yep. Ryan Reynolds went back and killed <laughs> himself as the old Deadpool, <laughs> they should just do that. <laughs> Not a bad idea. 2001, he was in Sugar and Spice. Uh, he played Jack Bartlett. Rigby, I know this is one of your uh, guilty pleasures. Yeah, it definitely is. He plays the hunky high school quarterback role pretty well. He's not the main part of the movie the, that belongs to the, the cheerleading yeah. squad. But he, he's a good supporting role in it. It's similar to Disturbing Behavior in that it's this teenage angst film it's very female driven he's very much a minor supporting character but he starts to get into this mode of being the pretty guy right Mm -hmm. and and embracing that in a lot of ways quick departure from some of those types of roles in 2001 he was in zoolander for a very brief moment as john wilkes booth yeah that was when uh derek zoolander is describing how models have been involved in every major assassination (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then like, Mars didn't like kill Abraham model. Lincoln. <laughs> well, between Zoolander and Team America, we understand the power of yeah. acting and the power of models. <laughs> God, it's it's so good. It's so quick. Very fun. It, it's a fun little cameo he pulled out on that one. Between tw- 2001 2002, he was in the show Ally McBeal. Uh, he played Glenn Foy. He was, that was a huge show. I don't think any of us watched it. But he played like a Sinatra-style singer. He's got some singing chops to him. He was able to put that on full display, which we get, we'll get. we showcase it here in some of the other reviews we have coming up. Also in 2002, he was in a movie called Interstate 60, which is a very curious project. Very curious. It was a Disney movie, but they had Michael J. Fox say fuck too many times. <laughs> <laughs> I what felt watching? icky watching the whole movie because the cast in this is awesome. Kurt Russell and Chris Cooper, Gary Oldman. Oldman. Gary Oldman's dressed like Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> it was bizarre. It was almost torturous to yep. watch. You felt Gary Oldman's pain wearing that outfit watching him in this movie. It, he's like a pretty 
filthy oh, yeah. character too yeah. the entire time very filthy which i didn't expect marsden plays the lead he's got his magic eight ball with him again i think very similar to disturbing behavior he does what he can with the script he's given he's not bad necessarily it's just the story so odd that it's just hard to follow and you just don't expect michael j fox and gary Oldman and all of those guys uh, being as ridiculous as they christopher are christopher lloyd yeah, exactly. I mean, star-studded cast, right? 2003, he's in the X-Men sequel. He's in the aforementioned 24th Day. And he's also in The Notebook in 2004 as Lon Hammond, which is a pretty beloved Nicholas Sparks project. Yeah, I would say yeah. it's the only beloved Nicholas Sparks project. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know enough about so Nicholas you Sparks. gentlemen out there that have the ladies at night, you need to watch a little love story. <laughs> I enjoyed the notebook. Um, I think he was good in that role in that he plays the original love interest who gets left for the better love interest. I think it was just an unfortunate casting for him in that the people who were in the leads, they like, again, uh, it, which might be a trend for him now that I'm saying it out loud, was uh, Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams. And they just stole the show and, you know, blast off to superstardom. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. James Marsden was in that movie. I forgot. He's just the side character because of how good they were in their roles. In 2006, he's in a movie called Lies and Alibis. He plays Wendell Hatch. And what I'll give in terms of background, the, the movie itself is not great. Steve Coogan plays the main role. The, the concept is he runs an agency that helps you hide your extramarital affairs. So they handle your business. Uh, they answer your calls when someone's trying to call you, like your significant other's trying to track you down. They intercept the calls so you can do what you want to do. Uh, but Marsden plays jockey frat boy who is tr paying for them to basically distract his wife while he goes on this escapade to California. And so again, you see more of him playing like this asshole. Like he gets into this asshole role and he does a pretty good job with it. He's, he's pretty convincing as the, the fratty douchebag. He's also in a movie called Tenth and Wolf in 2006. And the one thing I'll note there, uh, he, he has a pretty bad philadelphia accent i don't even know i didn't even know there was really a philadelphia accent but he's he's playing around with some voice work that isn't great if you sound like an asshole you're most likely from philly <laughs> yeah just throw snowballs at santa claus and that's the philadelphia way right? you, need, you need to drink water uh, or have your heart ripped out of you every football season <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> we run into another x-men sequel the last stand and then also in 2006, we see another superhero movie role, not necessarily a superhero role, but he was in Superman Returns. This is the peeping Tom Superman, you know, the one that spies on his, his wife and her husband. <laughs> this is, a, I totally forgot this. This was a project. This was real. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, yes. I believe he's actually in this movie more than he actually is in The Last X-Men, where he was Cyclops, the main Main guy. I still can't get over it. <laughs> 2007 brings us one of his biggest roles in the movie Hairspray. And Chip, our guest, chose this one. So for those who are, haven't heard an episode where we bring in a guest, we hit the main five categories. But our guest is allowed to pick film of other choosing from their filmography. And he chose Hairspray. So Chip, tell us why you chose say, Has anybody seen this film? I have. Yeah. All right, excellent. So um, I, I'm familiar with Hairspray from 1988. That was a John Waters film, for those of you not familiar with John Waters. <laughs> He's usually known for um, the king of bad taste. Uh, king of filth, what? right? Yeah. I know him from that Lonely Island music video. 
<laughs> so that was Ricky Lake's uh, debut movie, and, and that was not a musical, although a music for every one of John Waters' film, he picks a soundtrack. It usually is uh, has some oddities in it, a little bit of fun in, in it. But this was a, a fun movie, and, and, and it was about the, uh, Baltimore. It was about integration and about how, you know, at one time people were segregated. Blacks and whites were segregated and how that changed and how music made that. Now, that was eventually picked up for a musical that eventually made its way to Broadway, and it did really, really well. And eventually, they, they made a movie. So in Hairspray in 1988, we had Sonny Bono, we had Deborah Harry, and we had Divine playing in this. <laughs> and um, for Hairspray, before we get to Marston, who played the uh, part of Corny Collins, which basically got had two, so he, he had two solos in, in this um, in this musical. We get um, Vinnie Barbarina. He, he plays the mom. And uh, for those who watched Welcome Back Carter and wanted to know what happened to him, and of course Bruce Dickinson, the guy who kept asking for more cowbell, he got to play, uh, <laughs> he got to play the 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 father uh, to our, our our singer. Marston sings uh, two songs in it. Um, he basically introduces the the Dick Clark type of dance program where the latest uh, songs are get get played. And of course, uh, once a month, they get to bring in, um, basically at the time, the, the black music of the time. This music certainly uh, is something everyone enjoys and, and as our character um, wants, he wants every day to, to have that type of music played. And this is the, the, the character that Marston gets to play. He gets to say, hey, listen, times are changing. We need to bring everybody in. And uh, the station and the public are fighting that. And then at the end, of course, uh, he gets to sing the song Hairspray because, you know, that's the way it ends. Uh, my kids uh, have seen this live. They, they had this movie. We watched it over and over and over. If you are a person who enjoys musicals, this, this certainly is a wonderful musical um, and just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of good colors, a lot of great songs. And uh, you can sing along with the soundtrack as you're driving down the road. I, I distinctly remember uh, Travolta's role in it just because it was it was so out there for him. In fact, I mean, that role in Broadway and the role in the 88 movie, his was divine. But it's always been played by a male. And it's mm -hmm. supposed to be mm -hmm. this brute of a mom who uh, you know, makes it happen. Mm -hmm. I actually enjoyed Marsden in this role. I think it was very fitting for him to play kind of like the... 1960s TV host. Um, I think he did it well. I think even the name like Corny Collins, and this isn't me being a slight, I felt like that was something that like he was able to kind of fit perfectly into. I was actually really shocked with how good of a singer he is. Uh, I did not know that he had a background in singing. And so when he first was singing and dancing in the movie, I was pleasantly surprised. Per the research that I did, he sings in Ally McBeal, 30 Rock, Enchanted, Hairspray, and Gossip that I know of. Mm -hmm. There are probably other movies and other projects where he's sang that I just haven't seen. So he definitely shows off that side um, in his projects, at least picks roles that allows him to do that. But 2007 was just a huge year for him, especially on the musical side, because he's in Hairspray. This, If you look at his IMDb, his Rotten Tomatoes, right at the top of the list in terms of roles that are associated with his his. Uh, career as an actor and then you run into another musical enchanted from 2007 and, and warren had the uh, opportunity to watch that one so enchanted 93 critic 80 audience it captures all the fairy tale tropes 
Rose. The intro is animated and it's fun and entertaining. And then Giselle, played by Amy Adams, transported to real-life New York by an evil witch to keep Giselle from marrying her son, Prince Edward, played by Marsden. The rest of the movie is Giselle bringing the fairy tale experience to real life, falling in love with Patrick Dempsey, and happily ever after. Marsden plays a great role for him. There is singing, which we know he's really good at. He has some cute adjustment periods to the real world. He just isn't her special someone, and he ends up with Adina Menzel instead. I, I get the appeal of the movie. It's creative. The the switch from animated to real life and you know going back. Uh, I thought some of the scenes where Amy Adams sings in New York to get the animals to clean up. What I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so instead of so instead of like the farm like the farm animals, she gets New York animals. So it's pigeons, rats, cockroaches, flies, <laughs> yeah. and they clean they clean Dempsey's place. That said, like I'm probably more in the '60s range with this. Unlike Rigby, I, I grew up and watched Disney movies, and I continue to watch <laughs> Disney movies. And this and this one can't hold a, a flame to any of them. I think the critic scoring is unjust because it is higher at a 93 than the following. Frozen, Rescuers Down Under, Hercules, Emperor's New Groove, Big Hero 6, Tangled. And it has the same score as Lion King. Get the fuck out of here. It's also higher than Saving Private Ryan. Get the fuck <laughs> wow. out of here. So I, I think it's it's 140 reviewers. That's the issue that we run into with with some of these scores. Like, yeah, uh, a, a seven-year-old would, would love this movie. Well, exactly. As a, as a father who only can make <laughs> girls, uh, I watch this way more than the average person. And uh, I, I enjoyed Amy Adams quite a bit. Yeah, she's great. I knew Warren. Warren didn't tell us anything about this movie all week, so I had a feeling he wasn't going to be a big fan of it. No, I, I, I love, like, I love plenty of movies like this. It's not that, like, I just can't do it. It's to give it a ninety-three is it's just ludicrous. See, we're just on opposite. Rigby and I are on the love train. Yeah, I love it, and I think James Marsden's absolutely hilarious in it. I, I think I it's perfect for what they needed out of that role. Hey, fuck you guys. I won't <laughs> compare it to the others. <laughs> I love the casting. And I, I taught a art class for the elementary school at that time. And so we would put on soundtracks at the end. And uh, except for Frozen, we played this one quite a bit. They, the kids requested this so that, that K through sixth grade, they love this music. I believe it. The song in Central Park when she's singing, that's all, that's all good. Yep. The story is just lame. <laughs> we had that song stuck in our heads for like three days here at the, uh, the <laughs> after we watched that one. in 2008 he was in 27 dresses i've never seen it but i'm told that he is mcdreamy in that and is lovely in that romantic comedy real money maker there it's nice to see him finally get the girl at the end of this also 2008 he's in sex drive he plays a character named rex this is one that used to watch a lot in college, and he plays this like hard ass <laughs> brother who is like super homophobic and very much like you need to be a dude's dude, a man's man, stop being a pussy. And it turns out he's gay. <laughs> so that's that's his character arc, and it's really funny to watch him crying at the table when he admits to everyone that he's gay after all of this blustering and projection on his on his brother. Come to conclude in my original feelings of not enjoying Marsden is that I continuously find him good in comedic roles. <laughs> and it sounds like this is kind of a play off of that. And so in doing like research for this, I realized it's like maybe I've just made up in my head I don't like him because every time I see him in a comedic role, he kinda like 
crushes it. Yep. And uh, I think that might be a place where he could focus. Just thinking about them, he, he's a lot like Rob Lowe in the sense that, you know, this, this incredibly good looking guy that does well in comedic roles, but, you know, sort of struggles to find good material. Interesting comparison. Really good, really good comparison. Great comparison. 2009, we have his largest critic app, which is a movie called The Box. I covered that, that one. So context on this one, because Rigby gave me the heads up on I needed to do some research before I even watched the movie. It's got a 5.6 user score or audience score, 47 meta score on IMDb. So a slight difference. But on Rotten Tomatoes, there's a 20-point difference. 44 critic, 24 mm-hmm. audience on Rotten Tomatoes. It's also the only movie in 2009 to receive an F cinema score from audiences. Prepare yourselves, boys. What I learned about this before I even watched the movie, it's, it's based on a short story called Button Button that was written in 1970 by Richard Matheson. It was inspired by a discussion prompt his wife would use to teach classes. It was adapted into a 20-minute Twilight Zone episode in 1986, by the same name is called Button Button, and it featured Brad Davis of Midnight Express. Then the movie was adapted in 2009. It wasn't shown to critics at any point in time. It worked really well as a Twilight Zone piece because it's a 20-minute. It leaves you guessing as to what's the, the concept behind this. And so basic gist, in the Twilight Zone episode, a husband and wife are at home, and someone knocks on the door, drops off a box, and there's a note that says some guy's going to come by and tell you more about it. The guy comes by later while the wife is just there and tells her hey if you here's the key you can open this box if you click the button someone random that you don't know somewhere will die but you'll receive two hundred thousand dollars in cash and that's the ethical dilemma right so you can push the button you could you don't have to but as soon as you push it i deliver the money i take it and i move right and that's the 20 minute version of it. You don't know much more. The challenge with this movie is as as they try to make it into a cinematic theatrical release, they've got to add a lot of extra backstory. So in the theatrical version with James Marsden and Cameron Diaz, who play the main two roles, it's in 1976 in Richmond, Virginia. Arthur and Norma Lewis, um, they have the drop the box dropped off. Things change a little bit. They are tempted with a million dollars and still the same concept of someone random that you don't know will die. The character that drops it off is called Mr. Steward. There's a play on words here, the steward of the box. And he's played by Frank Lagella, who I think is a really good actor. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, he's got this like huge like hole in his face, which you didn't have in the original Twilight Zone episode, because they've got to add some backstory to the whole thing. Uh, the idea is in the original one, the wife is the one who pushes it and the, the husband, they're having this dialogue about the ethical decision and the husband represents one point of view, the wife represents the other one. That That's what makes the Twilight Zone episode so cool. The movie, Marson's character is written to not be as against it. As a result, it, it loses some of its, its punch as an ethical conversation. And then the movie just goes into weird fucking directions. There's so much unnecessary backstory about this dude working at NASA in the NSA, and he's using the NSA to like spy on everyone. The whole point of the movie gets lost at a certain point. I, I rated it like a 30 or a 40. I'm in the low critic score arena 100% because it's so bad and low audience score. It should have never been adapted. Rigby, I know you saw it a number of years ago. I have a feeling you probably on the uh, same yeah, page. Yeah, I would agree completely. It works perfectly for a 20-25 minute episode where you know, there's three acts to it. I feel like the box had like 10 acts to it. It's like it, it never Mm -hmm. went off in a bunch of different directions. You get to this point where they're like, they're passing through portals and it's like, you're going to go to eternal damnation or you're going to get salvation. And I called it on the front end. I was, 
as we're sitting there watching and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, the random person that dies is probably the last person who clicked the box. And it turns out that's exactly what ends up happening in the, in the movie is that the person who clicks it, they end up having to make another ethical decision later between their spouse and their kid, having their kid be blind and deaf forever, or shooting your wife. And so at the end of the movie, Marzen ends up shooting Cameron Diaz through the heart to save his kid from blindness and being deaf. There's no winning in this one, and the whole concept just gets dragged out. Marzen's Okay. He, he conveys an appropriate level of skepticism that isn't as extreme as Brad Davis in the original, but it's never cheesy. He has an emotional restraint that the character demands, but the crescendo, as Rigby would say, the 10th act of the movie, he's crying during the shooting scene. It's just not very convincing. In addition to that, I think you know Cameron Diaz is just odd. She was awful. She's she was really bad. Southern California girl who gets to play this... Richmond, Virginia. The, the characters, the parents, were based on the director's parents. So the exact, what they did for a profession and how they talked. So Richard Kelly was a director. He's the same guy that did Donnie Darko, writer and director. Uh, he based that on his parents. And so his parents just sucked. Cameron Diaz was cringy to watch in the movie. It was bad. The score was from a Canadian band called Arcade Fire. Oh, and really? that was the first time they'd ever scored a film. So that, there you go. It shows. It gives you the background you need. Uh, <laughs> Kyle, have you heard of Arcade Fire? The way you put it, like a Canadian band. Yeah, they're pretty Arcade popular. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, 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 I thought, I've I never thought heard of Arcade Fire. I was polite and. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was being Canadian, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't you know? <laughs> Sorry. All right. So that, that's the box. It's, it's very forgettable. Don't watch it. Between 2010 and 2014, uh, he's super busy. He's in, a, he's in a ton of stuff. In 2010, he's in Death at a Funeral hilarious role he's naked yeah, on a roof at one point movie. he's great in it. yeah inadvertently does drugs yeah he's he's awesome in that that comedic role 2010 he's in cats and dogs the revenge of kitty galore which uh i believe warren actively avoided because he knows he would hate it it's voice work it's him playing the main uh, german shepherd dog again if you like that kind of stuff scope it out a little bit different of a role 2011 he's in hop it's very similar to his role in sonic which we'll talk about here in a little bit he plays the buddy to uh, the Easter Bunny who's trying to save Easter. He's, he's, he plays a grown-up who wants to be the Easter Bunny. Like, how fucking <laughs> dumb is that? His last name is O'Hare. Like, how, oh, how creative. The movie, movie sucks. The movie sucks. <laughs> yeah. It is available on Netflix if you're, if you're feeling it, but yeah, I agree. It's not good. He is in Robot and Frank in 2012. Very dramatic role. Langella, that we mentioned earlier, plays the main character, his son, James Marsden, buys him a robot in this like future because his dad's slowly losing it and he's a companion. And he learns that he can uh, teach the robot to help him do heists, uh, which is hilarious. So if you get a chance to check it out, Marsden, not comedic, very dramatic. Other smaller projects, he's in 30 Rock, 2012 and 2013. Plays a character named Chris. Have any of you seen his role yeah, in 30 Rock? His, his name is Chris Cross. <laughs> um, and he, he spells his name. It's C-R-I-S-S-C-H-R-O-S for Cross. He is he is Tina Fey's love interest, and they're a perfect balance. He is a great role in it. He's funny. He sings. He's in As Cool As I Am in Two Guns in 2013. He plays JFK and Lee Daniels as the butler also in 2013. Yeah, in um, Lee Daniels the butler, uh, he is one of four presidents, four or five presidents, I believe, that made no attempt to be anything like the actual president 
that they were supposed to be acting as. Uh, I think the most not- mean- noticeably bad one would be John Cusack as Richard Nixon. That one is the one that <laughs> sticks in most people's memory, but uh, James Marsden as JFK is essentially just doing a Boston accent and nothing else. I thought Alan Rickman as Reagan was okay. I would give him the highest score right. of any of the presidents <laughs> like, in that movie. That The main draw of the movie is definitely Forrest Whitaker and the other actors they got to play the presidents. Like, if the best one you could say is like he did okay. Right. In 2013 as well, he was in the tale of the Princess Kagaya. I only mention this because it's technically the highest rated on Rotten Tomatoes. It's an animated film. And I watched an interview with him and he didn't pronounce it correctly and he definitely shit on himself. It's like, <laughs> I don't even know how to pronounce the movies I'm in. That's bad. So <laughs> just something to add into there. But again, 2013 is really busy time for him. He was in like six projects, including Anchorman 2. The legend continues as Jack L- Lame. I mean Lime. i thought he was funny in this man i think he's i think this is where i he can win me over is continuing to play like these asshole roles that are funny and kind of self-aware in the writing and then he can add that to the performance because he made me laugh in this role yeah just just a little bit too good looking yeah the smile's just too perfect exactly and then he becomes like the uh basically what he was he wasn't uh he wasn't the anchorman or i guess a good antagonist for the uh the boys over there and he's also in Walk of Shame, another X-Men movie, and Welcome to Me. 2014, we talked about one Nicholas Sparks project in The Notebook. We're going to talk about one that is vastly inferior in The Best of Me, and that's Rigby, and this is Largest Audience Gap. I knew this movie was going to be ridiculous when in the first like five minutes, James Marsden's character survives not one, but two oil rig explosions. <laughs> one thing, they don't really say how he survived it. He just kind of miraculously survived. Everyone, the doctor's like, it's a miracle that you're alive, son. I saw the man of steel. I think he can survive. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Uh, <laughs> and Warren, I know you want to mention the oil rig later, but James Marsden plays this, this guy named Dawson Cole, who is sort of this, you know, he grew up poor. He grew up sort of in a bad family. The movie introduces him in his older years. And then he gets a phone call from a gentleman saying that his surrogate father has passed away. His one-time love interest, played by Michelle uh, Monaghan, is, uh, also receives the same phone call saying that this gentleman has passed away. And you don't really know why they're connected until you get to the early flashback or to the flashbacks to the early years, which that's where the movie lost me, is where uh, they have these two actors play Monaghan and Marsden's character. The one who plays Monaghan is really good. Yeah, you know, I had no problem with her. She looked like her. She she's a good actress. Mm-hmm. It's Marsden's younger character that threw me for a loop because this guy looks nothing like James Marsden. He looks like Heath Ledger. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take my shirt off and do some digging in the. Uh... Right. He looks, like, he looks like a ripped a ripped James McAvoy. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was, and he's got to be at least three or four. Taller than Marsden. Yeah, he's, he's Australian. <laughs> he's got to be like thirty years old. I mean, he looked nothing like he was a high schooler. He was supposed to be in high school at this point. Are you in high school? I'm in high school. <laughs> <laughs> the whole point of the movie is similar to the Notebook in that these two kids they met and they're sort of star-crossed lovers. They're, he comes from a, a abusive family, poor. And she comes from a wealthy family, really well connected. They fall in love. The parents don't like him. They're finding a. They're trying to find a way for her to get rid of him. Throughout the movie, there's all of these ridiculous sort of melodramatic moments. You know, Marsden's character Dawson, his the younger uh, character, he shoots his best friend by accident when he's fighting his father. 
God, I'm just trying to think of all the other ridiculous things. Anyway, well, wait, he, uh, he he didn't give the um, he didn't take the ethical dilemma. He didn't take the eighty grand. Right, right. And go to LSU. What is he thinking? Right, there's plenty of women Push the there. Button, bro. That is that is uh, that's one of the more ridiculous parts. Is where the father of the girl offers Dawson eighty grand in tuition if only he will uh, cease any communication with his daughter and leave his daughter alone and stop dating her. And he refuses to take it. I don't know anybody who would offer 80 grand to somebody they hate to make their way through college, but that's here, neither here nor there. <laughs> I've been looking for that person my whole life. I, I, can't, I can't find them. Anybody who watches this, I think you, you roll your eyes at it because it is so melodramatic and ridiculous. Um, you know, it has all the sort of Nicholas Sparks cliches. It's got like the abusive family, the poor, you know, kid who gets in trouble and meets the star-crossed lover, um, the rich girl. They're trying to find a way to make it, and everything seems to be stopping them. And yet, they keep falling in love, and they keep finding ways to 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 be in love. I didn't really mind Marsden's character or Michelle Monaghan's character. It's the flashbacks and like the ridiculousness of the story that lost me. I, I think it would have worked if they just would have. I don't know. You probably can't tell the story the way that I wanted to, which is just through through Marsden and Monaghan because you have it's the book is written with flashbacks and with younger characters, so it's probably not possible to do that. But overall, you know, I don't think Marsden was the worst part of this movie by any means. He probably was the best part of the movie, if I'm being honest. I would agree. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely agree with you. I can lots of Spanish moss. Lots of sunsets. <laughs> dude, it, dude, it was just so melodramatic. As soon as you're like, okay, that's the last of it. And then like, then he gets shot by his dad. And you're like, okay, that's the last of it. And then it turns out that uh, Michelle Monaghan's son gets in a car. Like, okay, that's really the last. And then it ends. It's too ridiculous <laughs> to even describe how it ends because it's so just like your emotions are like, it's supposed to like surprise you on an emotional level. Keep going, keep going, keep going. But like by the end of it, you're just so. You're exhausted. You're exhausted because it's so ridiculous. Eventually, they, they, they meet in heaven, and they live eternity together. It's, <laughs> right. it's so touching. There's an alternate ending on YouTube, and it is much better. The alternate ending is the kid still gets in the wreck, but Marsden doesn't die. He ends up uh, reuniting with Michelle Monaghan, and they live happily ever after. Yeah, see, I would have I would have appreciated that so much more. You know, Americans and your happy endings. <laughs> I know. It's just we're <laughs> programmed for it, man. So um, I have a... Uh, a r- explanation as to why the younger Dawson looks nothing like James Marsden. And this was because I was doing my research for the trivia in the beginning of, uh, for the beginning of the show. And I found out that James Marsden wasn't the first person who was originally cast for this role. It was actually Paul Walker. And oh, that wow. Luke Bracey, who plays the younger Dawson was casted because he looks a little bit like Paul Walker. And then Paul Walker passed away in the car accident and everyone was already casted contracts signed and they needed to find someone to replace him. And they found, uh, James Marsden. Wow. The other person who was going to be cast for that role was, a uh, Joe Maginello. And I was like, what the hell? Like <laughs> gigantic Jack, the Italian man is supposed to be. I could definitely see Luke Bracey as Paul Walker. So that right. makes total sense. But if you have a girlfriend or wife, yeah, maybe you watch this. You never know. Classic Nicholas Sparks. If I was, a a critic i would um i would be on the critics side which was i think it's like 11 percent on rotten tomatoes mm-hmm. is that right it's very likely he got the role because of his participation in the notebook mm-hmm. and him getting overshadowed and they're like all right if we need someone to jump in all right let's get mars and you know to give him a the second hero. chance yeah. and they just gave him bad material yeah mm-hmm. it's just it's not much he could do with it oh that seems to be uh something that keeps going on with marston 
to theme. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not his fault. I was thinking about he this. He just picks bad products. I was thinking about this. Like the moment, this is the last thing I'll say, the moment where they recognize each other 20 years after not seeing each other. If this guy looks nothing like his younger self, how the fuck would she be like, <laughs> Dawson? It's, it's a catfishing movie, bro. Like she, at least the younger uh, Michelle Moggin looks like her. I mean, that's just, just outrageous. A lot of reconstructive surgery. <laughs> Reality shows. I laughed a couple times uh, in this movie and, and Scenes where I definitely shouldn't have. Um, <laughs> I, the, well, how about that? Good. How about that dad who was uh, his real father, who was a skinny guy? Yeah, I mean, like, fast, well, he looked like a folk singer, not a fucking abusive father. It was weird. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he looked. He definitely looked like he was the like upright basis for the Lumineers <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's gold, man. But what I what I got was you know in the very beginning he's on a, an oil rig. Everybody's just like buddy, buddy. And they're like, oh, you know, uh, working harder, hardly working. And he's like reading and all this shit. And I was like, this is four years after the BP, Macondo, like the oil spill. Like these guys need to get their shit straight. <laughs> and the, the, the explosion and everything was laughable. And he gets blown off of the rig so far. And it was just like, Okay, one, two, three. He should have died. One, two, three. They, like, the wire crew sitting there just, like, pulls him off of that thing so far. I laugh really hard. Well, he's, he sends cash through the mail. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. There's there's a post box that says U.S. mail on the rig. Give me a fucking break. No one, no one writes mail on a rig. Um, <laughs> he, he gets paid cash on a rig. Because, you know, that's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> the second thing that I laughed really hard at was... When uh, Michelle Monaghan gets the notification that, like, the guy had died and she's got to go. She's really sad and she's packing. <laughs> her husband, her, her drunk of a husband, walks in. He's like, so how long are you going to be And she's like, I don't know, a couple days. You know, I've got to go meet with the lawyers and all this stuff. And he's like, i got to meet with my fraternity brothers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he says it. I got that. It's like a Sigma Nu. He's like, so is this like a couple day thing? Like, he's, he's such an insensitive ass. And I just, I laughed so hard because he just like stops, turns around and walks out. And he's like, <laughs> he, gets, he gets pissed off at her because she's going to deal with the funeral. Well, he's, he's looking through the bedroom for the golf glove, you know, because that's where you keep your golf glove. In the bedroom. <laughs> hey, he goes from there to what the is that? in the night under the under the kitchen sink. He's just like, I'm just gonna do whatever. Now's really not a good time. I got the Sigma Nu thing this weekend. <laughs> I've got the scene for you. So look through the bedroom, like through all the drawers. Look for the golf glove. And she's gonna tell you that she's having some second thoughts, and you're gonna blow her off. Yeah. And then she and then she's gonna tell you, I'll check with your secretary next time somebody that I know dies. It's like, oh fuck, dude. Yeah. This relation foreshadowing this relationship's not gonna last. My last thing that really blew my mind was at the end when he like the guys like ambush him in his car mm-hmm. and they start shooting his doors from behind and then they come up on both sides looking at the car the entire time. He magically ends up under the car. Oh, yeah. Under the car. car. I was like, how the hell did he get under there? He's magic. He's magic. Yeah. The movie was garbage. I I get it. I get why the lady, uh, why Nicholas Sparks writes this shit. (laughs) I'm surprised no one had a terminal illness in this movie. That's usually Nicholas Sparks' go-to move as he throws in some (laughs) soul-crushing terminal illness. Weirdest time. He had a kid who gets thrown in there who now needs a heart transplant. You know, just... Just in time for Marston to be able to give us work. 
So how lucky was he? This yeah. was a um, this for for comedic content. This was a fun one to review for sure. Between 2014 to 2015, he's in a, a couple projects, but I think the the main one I would note is he was in the D Train with Jack Black in 2015. Played a character named Oliver Lawless. The premise of the movie is Jack Black is trying to essentially save their high school reunion. And Oliver Lawless is the cool guy from high school who now uh, was in a commercial in California, is perceived to be popular, right? And Jack Black goes out there to uh, recruit him and ends up having a love affair with him. <laughs> Unbeknownst to his wife, played by Catherine Hahn. Marson just really good at playing like this bad boy who pretends to be successful but really has his life is as much of a wreck as anyone else so it, it's a fun it was released on ifc films available on netflix fun little film especially if you like jack black 2015 also has his lowest critic score and this is our, our final review and this is from james and it's a movie called nailed or accidental love depending on where you find it yeah i will get into the reason and why it has two names here in a second uh, give you a quick plot synopsis. Uh, a character who, which is played by Jessica Biel, uh, her life is turned upside down when a legitimate freak accident happens while she's getting proposed to at a diner. Uh, she gets shot in the head with a nail. I swear to God, that the that is the, that is the plot of this movie. Yep. She's getting proposed to and gets shot in the head with a nail gun. The person proposing her fiance is played by James Mark. The nail in her head causes this erratic behavior, but also apparently erotic behavior where she's now like randomly horny all the time. Uh, Marsden calls off the engagement when they find out that it would cost $150,000 to get the nail taken out of her head. So Jessica Beale sets off to find a, like a cure for it. And she, Chrisman played by Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, who is uh, going to be like the champion of her cause without going further into the plot. Cause it doesn't need any more than that. Uh, Cause the, I agree. The movie stinks. Um, <laughs> We'll get into why it's things here in a second. Listen to this cast. Jessica Biel, Jake Gyllenhaal, James Martin, Catherine Keener, Tracy Morgan, James Brolin, Bill Hader, Beverly D'Angelo, Paul Rubin, that's right, Pee Wee Herman, and even Christy Alley. And this movie still sucks. <laughs> I think if it was a bit more focused, it could have been something worth saving. Uh, if it, it, it could have been like a cool kind of dark comedy about and like political humor and healthcare humor. It could have been something what actually happened here. And I, it was so bad. I had to look into it. And then I realized that this is the major part of the story is the reason why it was so terrible is production was actually halted on the eight different times. They started filming this in 2008 and it didn't get released until 2015. Oh, oh my Jesus. God. That makes sense. Cause, cause when I watched it, I couldn't believe it was a 2015 movie. It, it seemed older. Yeah, it, like, it seemed like it was from a while it, ago. It was written by uh, Al Gore's daughter. That is true. Um, and it, <laughs> wild, I agree. Um, and it is supposed to be a comment on the healthcare industry. But because the production company ran out of funding, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Jessica Biel just walked off cast because they realized that they weren't going to be able to pay any of the other cast members. And so it was halted until... The Screen Actors Guild halted it, and as a union said they would not let any of the actors production company showed they actually had the money to pay people. They boycotted filming. It started and stopped, again, eight different times. The director, uh, David O. Russell, actually even campaigned to get his name removed, like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, 
from the movie credits because he hated what the finished product looked like. And he was actually successful in getting his name removed. So it's actually under a pseudonym, which has been used uh, since like the 1960s for all movies that this happens, where the director hates the final product. And so they attribute it to a person who doesn't exist. That's how <laughs> awkward this movie is. Like you could, t- you could tell it's like, there's something there, but it's just not there. It's not funny, but it's not shitty. It's just nothingness. It's like, here's what a film student could have wrote a movie to be. And this is where their teacher would come in and be like, yeah, but this movie stinks. So you have to make it good. All that being said, I actually enjoyed like a handful of the scenes that Mark in to give him like the comedic role here. But again, he's playing a guy who loses the girl. I think he should lean more into comedic roles. But this movie just stinks out loud. So there's no real reason to like go any further in depth on his performance here because one or two laughs in a two-hour movie is just not worth it. I do think that Martian, if you have shine in this film, he played the, uh, the the boyfriend that certainly was clueless and a jerk. Um, he went to a propose to his, uh, well, his girlfriend at the time. Uh, the nail gun, of course, is going off during the time that eventually sticks a nail in that uh, Jessica Biel's uh, head. And uh, so he's complaining, but it's all about him right? because the whole time, how could they ruin my proposal Correct. to her? The scene with Jake Gyllenhaal when he's out by the bonfire is the funniest scene in the entire movie where they're doing that little ritual. I got such Their a kick out of that. banter there where Marsden is still this like egocentric, but clearly acknowledging that this guy has the power to kind of fire a police officer because he's a congressman. But what he's watching is odd. I thought that was a good little playback and forth. And then it's like it amounts again to like nothingness in this movie. It just doesn't go anywhere. There's like a couple scenes and you could tell it's just been chopped and chopped and chopped. Gore's daughter writing it. And so that was before 2008. So it was before Obama went into office Mm -hmm. making all these statements about it. And then it comes out in 2015. So right before Obama's out of office. And the Affordable Care Act's already passed. So the movie just, <laughs> yep. just, just does This movie is going to be huge. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest like, oh, movie man. ever. We're so fucking edgy. We got this great idea. And my, my favorite things about Marsden in this movie, he always threw everything to percentages. Yeah, it was, it was funny. Yeah. yeah. You go do that. Uh, I give it maybe a 65-35. He's talking to this other girl, and he's like, but you know, if it doesn't work out with her, call me. We, uh, we'll make that work out 70-30. <laughs> just like, <laughs> all these odds all the time. I thought that was he, he uses that when, yeah. uh, when he finds out that the nail in her head is going to make Jessica Biel more sexually aroused. And like yeah. all the guys are like nudging each other. Like, oh, that's cool, man. She's going to want to have sex with you. And she like is like, oh cool, maybe I'll orgasm this time. And he like, <laughs> that's right. He like stops and he like gets down next to her. He's like, babe, you know, only fifty percent of women have orgasms. Like that's not my fault that you're not having orgasms. <laughs> <laughs> movie sucks. The movie's bad. You're it's right. got some redeeming moments, but it's overall it's pretty bad. To kind of finish off his di- filmography between 2015 and 2020, so present day, he was in Into the Grizzly Maze. He was in Unfinished Business. Great cast and crew, but maybe I don't know about the crew, but great cast, but just a, a turd of a product. Yeah. He was in The Female Brain, a movie that is directed and written by Wendy Cummings. And then he's in two pretty big television shows that I think for today's audiences would associate with James Marsden. And the first, that's Westworld, and he plays Teddy Flood. And I know, James, you're a big fan of this yeah, show. Yeah, so they're on the third season on HBO right now, and he plays Teddy, and Teddy is... So Westworld, what it is, is it is a 
essentially like amusement park where there are robots who you can't tell are robots, um, but they can't hurt humans. So humans can pay to go there. And what you can do is like, if you want to get into a gunfight, you can get into a gunfight where you know you won't get hurt. If you want to rob a bank, you can rob a bank where you know you won't get hurt. So the only people who get hurt are the robots. And Marsden plays kind of like the leading man. And what ends up happening to him as a the leading man robot is every time a human comes there, they essentially pick a fight with him and he always loses. And he's really good in that role. He's like the, Oh no, I'll save you. And then he just gets blown away by like some fat schlub who's on vacation with his family. And <laughs> it's, it's pretty like, it's, it's kind of comedic, but it goes way darker into like the morality of what that is. Um, but I think he's really good in that role. 2019, the other TV show he's in, which is available on Netflix, he plays Steve Wood in Dead to Me. Uh, I'm not going to get too much into it just because it's still really new. New season comes out in a week, and James Marsden's in both. So we'll just go ahead and leave that there. My understanding from Kelsey is he plays an asshole. Yep. And he does it pretty well. He does a really good job of it. His most recent big project, and again, I think that this brought him to the forefront of, of audiences and pop culture is he plays tom in sonic the hedgehog which sonic had its own legend behind it and the money they spent to redo the the sonic cgi uh but in terms of video game movies i think it's the most successful in terms of ratings of all time sonic the hedgehog i'll be honest with you when i saw the original trailer and then i saw the movie he looks the same in it so i don't know what the well that uh (laughs) (laughs) when you're named gq's most handsomest man in the world sometimes they gotta they gotta make some tweaks (laughs) it was a fun movie um i was i was pleasantly surprised i went in with pretty low expectations and his interactions doing kind of that voice work and interacting with obviously a cgi character takes some some form of skill well in the distant past uh, i used to own something called amc stubs that was at a movie theater and uh, (laughs) when i went to the theater to see there were movies like multiple movies playing at the same time i um usually picked the whatever was playing the time I was there, and it was Sonic. So I sat down next to a family, and I watched these kids just giggle throughout this entire film. And so, yes, this film certainly hit its age group really, really well. I read yesterday that there isn't a planned sequel, even though they set it up perfectly for a sequel with the introduction of Tails at the end. Spoiler! I think that guy's the director's just trying to get money. He's playing hardball. He's just trolling (laughs) us, I think, at that point. With every shitty sequel you have out there, for once, it's like, yes, let's do it. Jim Carrey's great in that role as Robotnik. Let's let's keep it rolling. We'll see. And then he was in Mrs. America and The Stand, both in 2020. Those are all, that's pretty much everything on the Mars side. Did we miss any major role? I don't see how we could. I don't think so. Although we talked about Hop being an absolute turd of a film, he trained himself on how to do the Sonic-type work, working on Hop. That comparison is apt there for him to actually excel in that role. He had to play the Easter Bunny before you could get there. You got to walk before you could run. Uh, Rigby, top 10 performances. What do you got for us, brother? This week, I found a list rating per top performances. There are some caveats. One is it's top five, not top 10. So this would be a little shorter. And also it's from, from two years ago. So it won't include Sonic or anything post 2018. And this is from TV Overmind. Sounds legit. Written by a guy <laughs> named Tom. And if you've listened to our, uh, 
our podcasts in the past, Chip, you'll know that all of our sites where we get these are, are totally yeah, super credible. So, um, <laughs> so if anybody wants to take a stab at the top five roles of James Marsden's acting uh, movie career, not TV shows, just movies, um, take a stab. 27 Dresses. No. Enchanted. Oh. Enchanted is number three, Prince Edward. I'll say Hairspray. Hairspray, Corny Collins is number two. I'll say the X-Men. Oh. X-Men is number <laughs> one. Sorry, James. Cyclops. Death at a Funeral. No, we just need four and five, and I don't think we talked about four. We may have, but if I, I may have missed it. Are they dramatic or comedic? Roles? They're both dramatic. Sugar and Spice? Nope. Wow. Give me a Walk of Shame. No. It's not Straw Dogs, is it? Straw Dogs is number four. Wow. David Sumner. Uh, and then the fifth is, I'll give you a hint, it's a movie that we covered tonight. One of you, it was a feature film of Marsden. Oh my God, don't tell me it's The Box. No. It's the best of me, isn't it? Nope. Really? Disturbing behavior. Disturbing behavior. Yeah, that, Clark. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Good for him. One of his his first role was top five. This review says, as a disgruntled and disillusioned teenager, he actually pulled it off quite well, despite the fact that most teenagers in films are in their twenties. He's born in seventy three, and that movie was ninety eight. Yeah, so, so he was mid twenties. Twenty four, so. twenty four, yeah. something like that. I was going to say, you realize how difficult it is to be an actor and then make a living being an actor. But he really could benefit by sitting back, maybe like Tom Hanks did at some point, and say, listen, I, I should probably wait for a really good role. Because, I totally agree. Uh, he, he takes, seems like he takes everything. Yeah. I think that's a good. I think that's a good list. Before we get into ratings, I want to I want to pop a little nugget in there because I'm going fourth. So I want to make sure you guys have this information at your disposal before you go ahead. Um, so choose, use it for what you wish. Based on his different roles over the years since 1993, this guy has been in an incredible range of types of films. I'm not saying the films are good, right? So let's just remove that part of it. It doesn't mean the movies are good, but I want you to listen to these categories. Romance, he's in Best of Me in The Notebook. Romantic Comedies, he's in 27 Dresses, Female Brain. He's in comic book films, X-Men, Superman Returns. He's in musicals, Hairspray, Enchanted. He's in some 90s teenage angst films like Disturbing Behavior, Sugar and Spice, Gossip. He's in TV shows that are pretty well-reviewed in Ally McBeal, 30 Rock, Dead to Me, Westworld. He's in some comedies, Death at a Funeral, Zoolander, Anchorman, Sex Drive, Unfinished Business, Me. He's in dramas, Robot and Frank, Lee Daniels, The Butler, The D-Train, Shock and Awe. He's in animated films, Hop, Sonic, Tale of Princess Kagaya, Cats and Dogs. He's in horror, The Box. He's in action movies, Two Guns, Into the Grizzly Maze. Really, the only thing I couldn't find is a Broadway role. Not You're, great but movies, but he's in a wide variety to, of stuff. You chose me going first, and you are not going to change my opinion. <laughs> hey, I'm just sewing it out there so you guys have it as we get into the, the reviews part of it. For those of us who are new listeners, the way what we do here, um, we rank them on our months and meter. Our months and meter evaluates actors on a number of different categories. We look at longevity, how long have they been at it? Um, how consistent have they been? We look at their pop culture impact, right? What's their name recognition out, out in that space? Um, we look at their range as an actor. We talk about their awards footprint. We discuss if they have other talents. They write, sing, produce. We talk about their personal life on, on a scale of their great person to an awful person, and we also look at their comedic chops. James is going to go first, and we rate between a zero and a hundred. Marston's had an interesting career direct, uh, trajectory, as Kyle just mentioned. Like He actually has a very under-recognized body of work as a uh, kind of like a side character, utility comedian, and or just the, you know, the plain, handsome, straight man. Um, he's never bad. He's just not cast in 
very good films and he's never been great uh in my opinion uh like he shows up he does his job well but like the material he gets is weak or the character is weak i'd love to see him play just like a full-on alpha male egotistical like bastard and kind of like own that but with like none of his usual charm to kind of offset it i think it'd be cool to see him in maybe like a wolf of wall street role kind of like what leo had where he just like leans into it completely but he just hasn't had that however his portrayal of cyclops to me is completely unforgivable uh and i just don't like him in a lot of things i've seen like how many times in this podcast did we say like he's good but the movie or the script or the character is bad like before we actually just blame him like he has to bear some of this burden we can't say he's great in 25 bad movies and so when i was doing this he's I couldn't find any cool personal stories to kind of weigh it out. He hasn't won many awards. He hasn't been the leading actor many times. He's had a ton of longevity, which was shocking to me. Uh, He's obviously like strikingly handsome, surprisingly good singer. And I think he has great potential as a comedic actor because every time I've seen him in a comedic role, even though they're small, I think he's done a really good job with it. But all that said, he gets my uh, lowest uh, score of all the actors we've done. And I gave him a 50. Warren. Well said, James. You know, I think I think the biggest thing that is hurting him is terrible representation. He could definitely use a better agent, uh, somebody to read over some scripts. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I think he definitely has the longevity. Diver- the movies are diverse. His characters aren't. So his characters are very one-dimensional. He does his part. He is a great utility plug-and-play guy. You're down in a bye week. You can stream a flex guy. Bring in James Martin. <laughs> <laughs> that's really that's one of the best ways to put his career. Uh, he does sing. You know, until he does something different. And I think at this point, he's just like, you know what? I I could have been doing. You know, I could have knocked up my high school girlfriend and had you know three kids by two different. Women. So I'm doing all right right now. Uh, I give I give him a 47. Chip. We're talking about a guy who's been working for a long period of time. So that we certainly have to recognize, you know, he got to Hollywood. He's making a living being in this. He's a great ensemble character. And I, I don't know if he could carry uh, a program as a leader. I mean, I, I don't know that. But he certainly hasn't been given a Jack Ryan type role or something that would allow him to carry it. I think that he is... A person that, like, I, I need this type of person to be in my film. He works with the scripts that are given to him. Yeah, I got to say 70. He, he, he survives. And that's the deal. Many people would have, been, would have washed out if they don't have something grabbing them. And what he's missing right now is this that character that everybody's going to identify him, with him. And unfortunately... X-Men did not do that for him. Uh, unfortunately, he, you know, some of the other ensemble uh, pieces that certainly could, I mean, Nicholas Sparks certainly says to me, like, I could be a leading man after that. Nothing really has panned out for him. So I'll jump in uh, a few a few notes on my scores. So I think number one, he does get lost in a lot of his production, similar to what I, my commentary about Jen, John Lithgow and how I probably didn't rate him as high as I should have is that I, I've seen him in a lot of projects, but I don't remember him playing those roles. And I think there's also a craft to acting from that standpoint of you don't have to be this outrageous actor a lot of times. You just have to be, you just have to kind of fill the role 
and con- convey the emotion in a way that I don't go, yeah, you're a terrible actor, like I mentioned with Cameron Diaz in the box. Some things, he, he hasn't really won any awards. He's been nominated for some. I thought you guys would find these entertaining. He's uh, He got a Teen Choice nomination for Movie Scene Stealer and Death at a Funeral, which I think we all understand why. Um, he's got a couple Teen Choices for Comedy Actor and Enchanted in 27 Dresses. And he's got some SAG noms for like Westworld, Lee Daniels is the butler, Critics' Choice for Best Ensemble and Hairspray. He's been nominated, just hasn't won anything. So he took a, a big hit there from me. Um, but the the area where I gave him the most was just the range of projects that he was in. So with all that said, I'm going to give him a 64. Rigby? Kyle, you mentioned his um, his range, a lot of different genres over the years. And he has been, he, he's been in the game for a long time. I mean, in my eyes, anybody that's had a career spanning over 25 years has done pretty well for themselves. Um, I think you mentioned, you know, the one part of the genre, the one genre that's missing is Broadway. But I think... I would like to see him do Broadway. I think he'd be awesome, especially because he's he can sing, he can dance, all that stuff. Everyone sort of hit on the important points. Um, his characters are kind of they're kind of one dimensional. You know, I, I like to think of his character in the Notebook, sort of summing up his career, sort of like the guy who uh, people you'll think of, but he's not like the leading type of guy. But you know, for that reason, I I don't think it's that's technically his fault. So I'm going to give him a seventy as well. He's entertaining. He's funny. I almost think he's too good looking. I, I don't know if people take him seriously enough. When you see somebody who literally looks like they stepped out of a, you know, a GQ magazine ad. I've had that problem for years. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's tough. <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to hurt him too much, but um, I think I, I I think 70 is is fair enough for him for someone that's been in the game a long time and and is consistently getting roles. Case. You know, we did, we missed some awards and, and James, you know, I, you, you've got something against this guy because yes. in 2001, he won an award for favorite supporting actor by Blockbuster Entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> he may or may not have been the reason they wanted a business. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he's done Best some awards. But... from MTV. <laughs> <laughs> the part that sums it up for me is actually his awards because if you're looking at IMDb, at all the award stuff he's listed as, most of them are ensemble cast. I think Chip nailed it earlier. There's a great analogy with Rob Lowe. I, I think I agree. In the end, James Marsden, I think, is would be a prolific comedic actor and, and would really do would really thrive. I'm gonna give him a fifty-six. With that, Warren, what does that bring us in terms of an average for James Marsden? That gives James Morrison a 59.5, which puts him at 8th, just behind Regina and just ahead of Craig Robinson. I think that's a good spot for him. I think that's fair. Yeah, I had a feeling he was going to be on the lower end. I just didn't know exactly where he would be comparatively to those other two. So that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, my, I feel weird. My score is just, I can sit down and watch any of his movies, but his movies aren't good. Yeah. So his watchability score for me is through the roof because they're, his movies are all like just mind-numbingly dumb. But that's that's <laughs> what I that's what I like, and so it is what it is. A favorite in the Warren scale, maybe not high on the Munson meter for Warren. Right. right. Yep. In terms of coming soon, he's got one rumored project. It's a sequel for Enchanted, Disenchanted, and so uh, it's supposed to be like ten years in the future. 
the happily ever after is not so happy because it's know, present maybe, in New York and there's a major yeah. pandemic. And- <laughs> <laughs> well, like, if Disney could beat you know a product to death, let's go ahead and do it now. <laughs> yeah, now's the time. He is rumored to reprise his role as Prince Edward. And- All right, so we've got some actors. We got some actors for consideration on the next wheel. Um, Those five actors that we pulled from our mega list are Andrew Garfield, Christina Ricci, Chris O'Dowd, Gabrielle Union Wade, and Jesse Eisenberg. Fellas, thoughts? Either the first or the last. That way I don't have to do as much prep. I've seen most of their shit. I'm going to go ahead and vote for uh, Zuckerberg. I think he's an excellent uh, <laughs> his, his ability to, to run Facebook and yeah. act. <laughs> Other, otherwise, I would say Christina Ricci, just because of playing uh, Wednesday Wednesday Adams, as well as uh, her role with Samuel L. Jackson and Black Snake Moan. <laughs> That's true. Yes, I, good I don't want to do her because I don't know what she's been in the last 10 years. Yeah, she starred in one of the John Waters films. Gabrielle Union Wade has been in more stuff than you would think recently, too. And so I think it'd be interesting. To, and I want to watch Bad Boys, too, because why the hell not? All right, our next podcast is going to hit on May 21st. We will spin the wheel on May 14th. We're going to have another guest, Dan Craig, who is uh, from Case's Circle. Uh, Case, want to tell us a little bit about Dan? He's a movie nerd like us. I think just like Chip, I think he's going to fit in, and I think he's going to have a great time on our podcast. It's it's really been a pleasure having you, Chip. Oh, thank you. That's a, that's a good transition. Got anything you want to plug from a too much rolling side or anything like that? By all means. The pandemic is going on is and continuing to go on. And so what we've been doing is actually doing a daily podcast. We've been... Uh, so Steve and I are our normal host, and we added Professor Pamela Bador. She is from the University of Connecticut, Anna Literature and English Specialist. We've been reading all of the Sherlock Holmes short stories, and um, there's 56 of them. And uh, we are over 23 of them. And so we're going to continue to go, as long as the pandemic is here, there'll wow. be a Sherlock Holmes story for you. <laughs> That's wow. your Zero Dark Thirty list right there. One Sherlock Holmes for every day. So have you enjoyed your time? I did. You know, I've only got through four or five beers. I'm feeling pretty good now. (laughs) (laughs) We we appreciate you, brother. Um, Sober is not the way to do this. So, Thank you so Uh, much for allowing me to be part of this. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Jip. That was fun, man. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on Instagram at Munson's at the Movies. You can email us at Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. We love hearing from you on the social media, so please do reach out. Any final thoughts from the Munson's? I hope that you're all staying healthy and safe and that you're not getting Munson'd out in the middle of nowhere. Although, actually, being out in the middle of nowhere is probably the best thing right now. Munson's out. <sighs> all right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?